Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. 
when you align the spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical in such a way that you are in a coherence state, coherence, not chaos, but coherence, just like a beautiful orchestra or your favorite band playing music that you just, it just feels right and you're in flow. That's when you start to achieve, whether it's your physical health, mental health, emotional health, financial health, spiritual health, relationship health. There is a coherence that when you are in that zone, you are in flow. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. John, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, Srini, it's great to be on with you. Yeah, it is my pleasure to have you here. You know, I have, you know, seen your work, heard about you, you know, from, you know, the moment that I watched The Secret for the first time. So I don't imagine, you know, I'd ever actually be sitting here talking to you. So it's kind of really interesting to have you here. Um, And I have, you know, as you can imagine, tons of questions. But really, where I want to start is with sort of your backstory and kind of you know, looking back at sort of the major influences and events in your life that have ultimately led you to where you're at today. Sure. I think, you know, one of the turning points in my life um, had to be at an airport in Montreal, Canada, when I was about 16 or 17 years old. And at that time, I was getting myself into an enormous amount of trouble hanging around with street thugs. Uh, We were doing breaking and entries. We were selling drugs. And like Bill Clinton, we didn't smoke much of it, but um, we just got into a lot of trouble. And um, I was at the airport going to Toronto to meet my brother. And right in front of me was this guy. His name was Denny. (laughs) It's so funny. I haven't thought about this in almost 40 years. And um, I tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, Denny. And his girlfriend that was standing next to him was wondering, Denny, his name is not Denny. And the guy basically turned back around to talk to the ticket counter. The reason... I went to that story is because this was a guy that uh, we were selling drugs to when I was 16. And he was an undercover cop, we later found out. And it reminded me of something that my father told me when I was a kid. And that, and that was, uh, no matter how well you juggle a ball, even the greatest juggler in the world will drop what they're juggling once in a while. And it was at that moment that I knew that you know the path that I was on mm-hmm. of selling drugs and doing breaking and entries as a kid to try and put a little money in my pocket and build my self-esteem was absolutely the wrong path to be on. And um, that's when I really started to look for a way out of, you know, the uh, life that I was living, which was a really a double life at a a young age where I was going to school, which I hated. Um, I came from a a loving, caring family, you know, parents worked hard like most parents do. Uh, But I was getting into a lot of trouble with the law and getting into a lot of trouble in school and I knew that if I stayed on that path, I would end up in jail, like a few of my friends had, uh, junior jail basically, uh, or the morgue, uh, which a few of them ended up dying later on. And uh, fortunately, um, over the next several years, I started to uh, really look for ways to get out of that. And at the ripe age of 18, I, I left Montreal and headed to Toronto again to meet one of my brother's friends. And that was a pivotal turning point in my life because this one gentleman saw more 
in my potential than I ever knew existed. And he was willing to mentor me. And uh, so that was a very, very special time in my life of, uh, you know, take one direction, end up in jail of the morgue, you know, go right. And maybe there's some uh, meaning that you can make out of your life that you'll be proud of. Well, let me ask you this. What, what did you learn about human behavior and human psychology from being around the types of people that you're around when you're on this sort of trajectory of ending up in jail and selling drugs? I think the, the number one thing that I learned is everybody just wants to fit in. Everybody wants to you know, feel like their life has some kind of purpose and meaning. And you know, there's a, a huge innate desire within each one of us to feel like we're worthy. And I didn't feel worthy at school. Uh, I didn't do well at school. I showed the teachers that I was incapable of sitting still. I was incapable of studying. I was incapable of taking tests and doing well. Uh, I showed my parents that I got into a lot of trouble. And so then I found the, the love and the care and the camaraderie and the fitting in and worthiness with a bunch of hoodlums. And so I was just doing my best to feel good about myself. Mm. And even though I knew that the things that I was doing was wrong, I justified it. I thought that everybody was doing it. And, and uh, my paradigm, my beliefs around uh, what I had to do to have what I wanted were just very skewed, but it was a self-preservation mechanism. I didn't want to feel stupid. I didn't want to feel dumb. I didn't want to feel like I'm not good enough. I didn't want to feel like I'm not smart enough. I didn't want to feel like I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the only place where I didn't feel that way. And by, by doing the things that I did, I had some money in my pocket. Uh-huh. I could go. I can go to the bowling alley and, and pay for everybody's bowling. I could, you know, I could go to uh, there's a place called Orange Julep in Montreal and buy burgers and, and this orange juice drink that they had and not worry about you know the fact that my father couldn't give me more than 25 cents allowance a week that I had to shovel snow for or mow the grass for. Um, uh, it was like hard labor back then, shoveling snow in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, So it was a place for me to, to feel worthy. And um, I found that there are other ways to feel worthy and fulfilled and purposeful um, through my, uh, my mentors as I, as I got older. So the idea of worthiness, you know, it's something that I look at now and I realize that even as adults, I think that a lot of people feel a sense of struggle with it because so many of us don't end up living the lives that we imagined we might have when we were kids or when we were younger you know, things turn out so differently for so many of us. And, you know, we can't change that necessarily, uh, what, what has already happened. But I'm really interested in how you start to shift um, paradigms and beliefs in people's lives to give themselves a sense of uh, worthiness. Yeah, I think the thing that, that really helped me was to put myself in the environment of people that were actually doing something positive, worthwhile with their lives. And that's one of the reasons, you know, I'm in the personal development field today is I have, you know, um, just a passion for it because there's so much wisdom 
about self-worth and self-esteem and, and, and so many techniques and tools today that allow us to recognize why is it that I feel you know, that I'm not worthy or not good enough or not smart. Where did that come from? What, what childhood event, what TV event, what experience occurred when I was, for the most part, younger that set me on this path, you know, whether it was an expectation of a parent or a teacher or a girlfriend or boyfriend or brother or sister that taunted us? What was it that caused me to start feeling this unworthiness or not smart enough or not good enough? And I, I learned how to trace back those moments, experiences, environments that were the impetus for me developing this belief that you know I'm not good enough or smart enough. And school was one of the reasons for me. And there was a specific uh, time in my life when I had moved as a five-year-old kid from Israel, where I was born, to Montreal, uh, put in an English-speaking and French-speaking school, and I only learned or I only knew the language of Hebrew at the time. And for two years, you know, I was consistently feeling like I, I didn't belong here. I didn't understand what was going on. I was learning two new languages simultaneously. And um, so I was behind all the other kids. So that was the beginning of me feeling like I'm not smart enough. And that carried on right through to high school, uh, even though um, now I think back, I, mean, I was freaking brilliant, but they weren't going fast enough for me. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I went back to the roots of what caused me to feel what I felt and then how I protected myself were counter strategies for self-preservation. And that's what we all do. We all create counter strategies to preserve, you know, our self-esteem. And we have these masks, you know, we call them personas. And we have these masks of, you know, who you think I am, who I think I am, who I really am. And when we can learn how to integrate those masks, which I think I've, you know, I'm getting close to integrating as many of them as possible now. Um, it just, it took a lot of time uh, in, in self-reflection and in reading and in, in going to courses and, and learning from people who um, understand the path to self-awareness. And the more I learned about myself, the more I know about other human beings and you know, why they do what they do mm-hmm. and why they don't do some of the things that I think they should do if they want to achieve you know, more harmony in their life. You think this is only something that it comes with age and experience. Like it's one of those things that you can only really understand it by going through it. Because I, I've been thinking about this idea, uh, which I'd, I'd written about. You know, I have a book coming out, and the next chapter is all about sort of dealing with adversity and, and trauma and, and difficult things in our lives. And I, the analogy I'd used is surfing. In the surf, there's a section known as the impact zone, and it's where you don't want to be ideally, because that's where you're just taking wave after wave after wave on the head. But in all reality, if you're going to surf, at some point you're going to end up in the impact zone and you could chant mantras and affirmations and do everything until you're blue <laughs> in the face, but nothing is going to prepare you for the impact zone other than the actual experience of being in it. Absolutely. Yeah, there's um, obviously things that you can learn from other people and that's knowledge, mm-hmm. but wisdom comes from experience. Yeah. And, and you're 100% right. And you know I've gone through some 
wonderful, wonderful uh, impact zones in my life, uh, financially, business-wise, relationship-wise, health-wise. And those are really big rocks in my life. Uh-huh. And what I mean by big rocks, those are some of my pillars of strength, is knowing that I had these opportunities to either fail and falter or rise and succeed beyond the circumstances. And fortunately, uh, I turned every one of those situations around into uh, phenomenal rocks in my life that give me the ability to withstand, you know, as you said, you know, a lot of surf falling on my head. Mm -hmm. Um, And also understanding how to navigate out of them. You know, it's interesting you t- you're talking about surfing. Uh, many years ago, I was training for a triathlon, and I was in my early or mid-20s, and uh, I used to train in swimming pools and lakes. And I was in uh, Rio de Janeiro with one of my dear friends, Mel, from Montreal, who's my, my training partner. And I went out, we did about a 10-mile run, and then I went into the ocean, he was on the beach, and I didn't know anything about rip currents. And I got caught in this massive rip current. And I was thinking to myself initially, hey, I'm a really strong swimmer. I'm just going to swim into shore. And within 20 to 25 minutes, I was really having a hard time to the point where uh, I thought I was going to drown. And it was the attention of the lifeguard that uh, that um, uh, saved my life, basically, where he was blowing his whistle and pointing for me to go to the right, go to the right, go to the right. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to do go to the right for? Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I finally paid attention and started swimming to the right and got out of the current. And, you know, my initial inability or my initial uh, – lack of uh, skill thought that I'm going to use my hard efforts of swimming to get back into shore. And all I had to do was learn a new skill of just go left or go right to the sides of the current or go out with the current, which I now know uh, how, how they work a little bit better, that you know gave me the opportunity to save my life but also learn something. And what I learned was that it really pays to have specialized knowledge. Mm-hmm. And specialized knowledge uh, with wisdom is really something that can help you achieve enormous amounts of success. And I say that because in, in most cases, whether it's financial or health or wealth or relationships or career or charity or spirituality, the how-to already exists. Mm-hmm. Unless you're going to you know, decide to figure out how to put a spaceship on Pluto um, you really don't need a lot of creativity or a lot of, a lot of your own ingenuity. Most of what everybody's trying to figure out, the blueprint already exists. And I've made a, uh, a habit of finding out the blueprint first mm-hmm. and become an impl- becoming an implementer uh, very, very rapidly. Okay, so this raises tons of questions, as you can imagine. <laughs> uh, where I actually want to start, you know, you mentioned impact zone moments in your own life, financially, relationship-wise, health-wise, I actually want to get into specifics, and I want to hear about some of your own specific ones, how you navigated out of them, why you think some people grow in those moments, and why you think some people falter. Sure. So you tell me where you want to take it. Um, Let's start, you know, with a specific story from one of your impact zone moments. 
Sure. Um, I'm going to take you back to, to you know, where a lot of my brain retraining focus and neuroscience focus and neuropsychology focus started, and that's when I was uh, 22 years old. I was diagnosed with severe ulcerative colitis, which means I had ulcers in my colon, bleeding ulcers to boot. And what that really means is that your colon is swollen, which means that very, very little can pass through it. And when you have ulcerative colitis, not only does your colon and anus burn uh, all the time, but you don't have any bowel control. So at any given moment, I could be walking down the street, I could be in a nightclub, I could be driving my car, I could be in an elevator, and I'll get this severe excruciating pain in my lower left side abdomen, and then I would shit all over the place. No warning, no time to run to the bathroom, no time to get out of the zone. And this, had, this, this was going on for a better part of a year and a half. I was taking 25 salazopyrin pills a day to, to try and uh, reduce the inflammation. I was doing two cortisone, it was called betanosol enemas a day, morning and night. Um, and I was doing sigmoidoscopies, which is where they stick things they shouldn't be sticking in your rectum every month for a year and a half to see what's going on. And there came a point where um, I had a couple of incidences. One was I had um, shit all over the bed just after having sex with this lovely young lady. And another time, uh, about a month after that, I shit in my car just as I picked up the uh, senior vice president of the Royal Bank of Canada who had flown in from Montreal to buy a home. I was a real estate agent at the time. And I shit in the car, in driving the car, and had to go into the bathroom in a gas station, embarrassed had to get totally naked, clean myself off. So significant emotional experiences caused me to go, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. I'm 22 years old. How in the world could I have this disease? So I started to research ulcerative colitis. And the research at the time was that it could be genetic. The other research was that it could be stress. The other research was that they weren't sure it was an autoimmune disease. And so there was no clear direction for what the hell ulcerative colitis was caused for. And I watched this um, TV show. And on the TV show, there was a physician that talked about something called psychoneuroimmunology. Short for, there's a mind and body connection. And I started to study uh, psychoneuroimmunology. I started to study um, the power of my brain, the power of my thoughts, the power of my body being in a state of at ease versus dis-ease. I started to meditate every day. I started to lower my stress levels by exercising. I started to visualize my colon being healthy. I started to read affirmations of my body and all its organs were created by the infinite intelligence of my subconscious minds. It created all my tissues, my bones, my, my veins, my capillaries, my muscles and everything else within me. The intelligence within me is almighty and powerful. It can heal me now and make me perfect now. I have read that poem so many times I can recite it over and over and over again. I read it every day, every day, 5, 10, 20, 30 times. I changed my eating patterns. I stopped drinking alcohol. Five weeks later, my colitis was gone. No more running to the bathroom 10, 15, 20 times a day. I went to meet my doctor. His name was Dr. Wu. And he did his colonoscopy again at the same time every month. And he says, what the hell happened? I said, what do you mean? He says, your colon looks almost perfect. What have you been doing? 
And I told him, I started meditating, started visualizing, started reading affirmations, started seeing my colon as being healthy. I started putting my body in a state of at ease. I said to him, I said, you know, everything that I've been reading about this is that I can control my body. And he says, yeah, that's, you know, some, some of the latest stuff is that, but I still want you to be on the pills. I said to him, I said, why would I continue on the pills when that is covering up the symptoms? I'm focusing on healing at the level of cause. So that was the beginning of my, with my, you know, experimenting with the power of my own mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't, I, I've had one bout of colitis in 33 years. And it's a disease that uh, almost got part of my colon removed and could have controlled my life. Mm. I then started using the exact same power of the mind to, to change what I believed about myself. So I started doing visualizations and affirmations to change my self-image of who I used to think I was a kid that was not smart enough, not good enough, not worthy enough, not capable of achieving much, um, and started to visualize myself being successful and healthy and worthy. And I backed it up with behaviors every day, daily rituals. And in 1982, uh, I started doing this uh, for health, but I also started doing this for real estate. And I made, I think it was 30 plus thousand dollars or so in 1982 and 1983 I made $151,000. Went and took off on a trip around the world for 14 months of my life and learned about humans and behavior and how spectacular this beautiful blue planet is. Uh, Came back and kept doing it, kept retraining my brain, kept seeing myself at the levels of success that I wanted to achieve, kept learning, growing, studying, applying, falling, getting up, and started my own company when I was 26 and then grew that to a four and a half billion dollar a year uh, in sales company. And so I've, I've had enough experience. Um, I've also started companies that have failed uh, uh, because I made some errors in judgment, whether it was in partnerships or strategies or tactics. But I learned how not to take that personally. And to separate me being a failure from me making choices or decisions that cause the the venture or the partnership or the relationship to fail. And again, this just came from being, um, I I, I didn't realize how much of a voracious student I was until I started to study stuff that I found fascinating. And, and that is really one of the keys is when, when you do stuff that you are not passionate about, when you do stuff because you have to, mm-hmm. then you're in what I call is the toleration zones and you're tolerating stuff. And I learned how to live my life based on doing more of what I love, less of what I tolerate and none of what I hate. Okay, so still raises lots of questions that I wanted to ask you for a very long time based on the fact that I knew that we were having this conversation. So uh, the first one being, you know, in that moment of colitis, the moment when you also decided that you were done with life as as a gang member, why do you think some people um, don't grow in moments like that? Like, you know, what what, what do you think it is that differentiates the person who experiences post-traumatic growth and post-traumatic stress? 
I can think I could sum it up in one word, uh-huh. and that's awareness. Okay. And when you have a very limited awareness, then it's hard for you to see the bigger scope of things. And so the way I was taught was to look at the universe intelligence first. And I believe that everybody is spiritual and that everybody has mental faculties and we have emotions and we have a physical body, obviously, with organs and things within it. And so if I am spiritual and I I refer to spirituality as omnipotent, omnipresent, universal, not exclusional, but universal and I have learned a philosophy around me being part of the intelligence that created the entire cosmos and the multiverses or universe, uh, whatever you believe is what you believe. And so that is within me. And so that part that's within me has all of the character traits, all of the character flaws, all of the good, the bad, the ugly, the embarrassed, the shameful, the guilty, all that stuff's within me. And so I can't separate myself from being all of it. Mm -hmm. And so if it's within me, the more I accept and fully embrace it, the more I could just say, hey, that's just a part of my life. And that's a part of every human's life and every human's existence. And we all make errors in judgment. We all have successes and failures and things we're proud of and things we're severely embarrassed about. And that's what makes us human. And so I look to the spiritual side of things as often as possible first. Mm -hmm. And in the spiritual realm, for me, there is order and perfection. Even though some things may not be to my taste, even though some things may not be to my liking or understanding, there is an order and perfection in everyone, in everything, at all times. My lack of awareness is what causes the suffering. Mm. And when I can really get to that place, which I get to every single day, hopefully during my waking moments and hopefully during my meditative moments and, uh, and other moments, when I can really just remember that there is perfection in everything and everything is unfolding exactly as it should not one electron is out of place that gives me peace of mind Mm. that gives me the ability to endure everything that's happening and if you think about you know surfing you mentioned surfing before like which wave is not perfect They're all perfect. There are some you can surf and some you can't. Some that will hit you over the head, some that will kill you, and some that will give you the most exhilarating ride of your life. But you've got to get in the water and surf. It's part of surfing. And part of life means there's ups and downs and highs and lows and, and traumatic moments. And so my job and I'll just keep with your surfing analogy, even though I don't surf, I love surfing, is to learn how to surf better. That's my job. It's not to change the surf. Mm -hmm. It's to learn how to be a better surfer. 
to learn how to be in that moment, no matter what that moment is. And, and when you are, it's pure bliss. All right. So this. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20 something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts first major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Or questions, right? Oh, absolutely. There's no way I'm done yet. Uh, you know, this is this is actually the the real sort of gist of, of where I wanted to get to uh, with this conversation. I mean, you were in the secret, and I can only imagine the kinds of things that you have seen perpetuated as a byproduct of it. Um, and so, I want to start dissecting truth and myth because the you know, like when I saw that, and then I saw the byproducts of it. I see a lot of people sitting around, you know, chanting with crystals and candles and vision boards and a lot of hokey new age bullshit, honestly. And I'm sure I've pissed a few people off just by saying that. Uh, I have too. And 
I'm wondering, one, where the hell did that all come from and how do we actually, you know, how is it that you've got this entire sort of subset of people who are getting results from their efforts and then there's other people who are just sitting around building more vision boards? Yeah. Well, after The Secret, you know, I, I, I was on a, a, or during The Secret and even after The Secret, I was on a, a lot of TV shows, Larry King, Eight Times, Anderson Cooper, Ellen DeGeneres. I mean, I went through the whole gamut. And the one thing I kept saying over and over and over again is the last six letters of the word attraction are action. Mm-hmm. That's number one. But I said that you have to invoke not just the law of attraction, but you have to add the law of Goya if you want the law of attraction to work. And everybody says, what's the law of Goya? It's G-O-Y-A. And the law of Goya is the get off your ass law. <laughs> And do the right things in the right order at the right time. Uh And I have never believed that I could just sit in a room or a monastery or on a hilltop or mountaintop and chant and pray and look at my vision boards and meditate and visualize and magic was going to happen and, you know, a, a truck full of money was going to drive, you know, by and say, by the way, this is for you. Goodbye. And uh, leave me with the money. And there are certain physical things that you have to do on this little planet Earth that when you align what you do physically with your mental focus and clarity – and your ability to master your emotions and navigate through the fear, through the embarrassment, through the disappointment possibilities, and you align it with your spiritual purpose of why are you here. And you're here to experience abundance, to experience all that life has to offer, the abundance and the lack thereof. It's all part of this. And When you align the spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical in such a way that you are in a coherence state, coherence, not chaos, but coherence, just like a beautiful orchestra or your favorite band playing music that you just, it just feels right and you're in flow. That's when you start to achieve, whether it's your physical health, mental health, emotional health, financial health, spiritual health, relationship health. There is a coherence that when you are in that zone, you are in flow. Now, most people don't think of their lives in terms of physical, mental, emotional, and physical. Most people are playing the game of life at the physical level. And that is like, you know, not playing the nuclear game when that's available to you. And the physical game is a million times less powerful than the chemical game. And the chemical game is a million times less powerful than the nuclear game. And so the nuclear game to me is understanding that spiritual side of your being. And why not start with that where there's an abundance of everything? And then get that thing called your body to move into action by doing the right things in the right order at the right time. And for me, I I look for those coherence patterns consistently in each area of my life, health, wealth, relationships, career, business, spiritual growth. And when I could tune in to those coherent patterns, 
then success just flows and flows and flows and flows. And every game that we're playing, there are rules of the game. And if you don't know what the rules are in the physical world, there are physical laws and there are non-physical quantum laws. If you don't understand the physical laws, too bad. The universe doesn't care. Nature doesn't think twice about inflicting capital punishment. And so if you don't understand the rules or the laws, um, okay, that's, that's your choice. And, and the beautiful thing is the rules and the laws are easy to discover and find. But are you willing to learn them and apply them? Because when you are, then you can be more in flow and in coherence than in chaos and disorganized. You think something like the secret did a disservice to people because it's caused people to sit around just staring at vision boards, hoping that, you know, something's magically going to fall from the sky. Well, I think for some people that it it did, um, but for other people, it opened up their entire world of possibilities that their thoughts do matter. Uh Um, You know, there are people that, you know, were, finally said, you know what, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to heal. There are people that took, you know, that very, very literally and seriously. And in altering their beliefs, they also started to alter their behavior. And then there are some who who gave it a meaning of I don't have to do anything. Right. And and so, you know, the meaning that we give anything determines how we feel and what we do. It's not the actual movie that was the problem. It was individuals' interpretation of the movie that was the problem. But also there were some teachers that really made it seem like it was just a matter of think, believe, and you'll achieve. And I call that – that's bullshit. Right. You know, that's as far away from the truth as possible. But if you think and you believe – you know, and there's two types of beliefs. There's implicit beliefs and, and there's explicit beliefs. And, and you really believe and you follow up with doing the right things. Then, man, oh, man, could you ever change and transform your life? But if you think that this is some kind of mystical, magical uh, pray and, uh, and hope, uh, you know, hopium is the drug of choice. Uh, for most people. And, and if you think that by hoping and praying, that is your core strategy, you are going to be in for a rude awakening. <laughs> okay. So now, and I, and I do, I do believe in hope and prayer. Sure. But not as your core strategy. Yeah. I, I right? agree with that. And, and listen, if you're, if you're, Sitting, on, I'm looking at a picture. On, I don't know. I'm in. The, I'm in an office right now. I'm looking at a picture of the um, of the towers in New York. The old picture of the towers. And listen, if you're underneath, you know, a building that just collapsed, boy, trust me, I'd be praying and I'd be hoping with every ounce of my being that that I would be, you know, um, saved. Um, and and so I don't want to discount hope and prayer, but I, when we're talking about making things happen in the physical world of your financial uh, abilities, your business growth, your health, your relationships. There are things that you can be doing 
every single day that will move you closer to your goals and dreams. And every single person listening to this right now knows of one or two things that if they did those things, they would be further ahead. Mm -hmm. And I challenge them to think about why are you not doing those right now? Well, you know, the question that that's going to raise for a lot of people uh, is, you know, we've been sort of talking about all of this at sort of a macro level, but really, you know, implementation of these principles into our lives, like, how do you start to change beliefs and paradigms and, you know, reprogram yourself um, so that, you know, your thinking and your beliefs ultimately lead to the actions that you want to take? I mean, I know that's that's completely rich territory and probably mm-hmm. almost impossible to cover in, in a half hour, but... Uh, just sort of at a, at a high level. I mean, where do we even start? Sure. I mean, uh, I'm going to go back to the reason you know I started my company, NeuroGym, and the reason we do the research on beliefs and behaviors and habits and emotions and and mental abilities is because I was fascinated by the topic we're discussing right now, and I changed my beliefs. When I was, you know, I started in my late teens and early 20s and I've continued, you know, changing my beliefs and my habits and my perceptions. And the question is how? And the answer stems from, well, how do you learn your beliefs to begin with? You're not born with any beliefs. And so where did you and I and everybody listening get their beliefs their beliefs about whether they're good looking or not, their beliefs about whether they're a good lover or not, their beliefs about how much money they could earn, their beliefs about what it takes to succeed, where did we get our beliefs about whether we're good enough, smart enough, etc. And the answer is we got it from our parents, we got it from our teachers, our siblings, television, maybe radio, school, and we gathered this information from our growing up. And the information that we gathered was not good or bad. It just was. And based on our environment and the way we learned to interpret things from our parents and or caregivers and or teachers, we formulated these neural patterns called beliefs. We formulated these associations around those beliefs and backed those up with experiences which shaped our paradigm or our views of ourselves and the world around us. And we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are conditioned to see. We are projecting our view and beliefs and experiences onto this canvas. It's not projecting onto us. And so if a belief is nothing more than a neural pattern that's been reinforced then can we either create a new pattern or can we dismantle an old pattern? The answer is yes and yes. We can change a belief the same way we gained a belief. If we repeat something over and over and over again, if we emotionalize something, if we visualize something, if we create mental rehearsal stories of something – then we can start to create a new neural pattern that will become the new default mechanism of our brain because the brain works on something called automaticity. And it basically works like this. Anything that you think about or feel or do or experience over and over and over again or that has a significant emotional experience, a significant emotional impact, will get wired 
and will run automatically to conserve energy in the brain. And until we change, renovate it, cause a detour in that neural structure or pattern like we would if there were some you know, streets that we wanted to fix you know, in, our, in our cities, if we created a detour, we start traveling down that path over and over and over again, that would become the default route. Well, what we know about the brain is that it's pliable, it's malleable, we can change it, we can create these new neural patterns, and a neural pattern is a belief. And so if you've got a belief that you're not good enough or not smart enough or not worthy enough, or you've got a belief that you can only earn X amount of money, that belief becomes your reality and it becomes automatic and that's what you think about, feel, and do 90% of the time. And so if you want to change a belief, why not take control of the most powerful organ that we are aware of in this universe called your brain and start to direct it since you are not your brain. You have a brain. You have lungs. You have organs within your body. And no differently than you can slow your heart rate down, you can change the brainwave states in your brain. And for some of you that are listening to me right now going, what the hell are you talking about? You're, you're, you're just ignorant. And, and let me just make a clarification. Ignorance just means not knowing. It doesn't mean stupid. Uh-huh. It just means not knowing. And this is where I love to raise people's awareness. And the power is all within you. People think that they have to see it to believe it. And the way the brain works is in order to see it, first you have to believe it. So we don't see what there is to see. We see where we are trained and conditioned to see. And your brain keeps looking for things in the physical world to match the internal map that it's created over 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And anything else is deleted or distorted from your field of consciousness and awareness. And so think about this for a moment and I'll finish this little rant. Imagine somebody taps you on the shoulder and says to you, hey, um, I've got this script. I'm a Hollywood agent. I've got this script. And if you can learn this script and let us film you doing this part, acting this role, okay, I will give you $20 million. And you say, 20 million bucks? Holy mackerel. Well, what's the script about? And I say, listen, it's about some guy that came back from the war, uh, lost his left leg, and um, you know, he's a drug addict and um, he has a really hard time dealing with people and is an alcoholic on top of that. Could you play that role? And you say, well, shit, I can't play that role. I don't know anything about it. But there's $20 million on the line. And the agent says, listen, would you be willing to do the work to get good enough for us to film you um, for $20 bucks? You say, yeah, oh, damn, I'll give it my absolute best. What would you do? If you really wanted that 20 million bucks, if you really wanted to become that role, well, you take something that's on a piece of paper, a script that's not real to you, that you don't have the skill for, you don't have the aptitude for, you don't even have the wherewithal of where to start, but you make a commitment and a decision to become that role, become that script, because 20 million bucks is on the line and maybe even an Academy Award. And so every day you practice it, you rehearse it, you research it, 
You build your skills. You hire the best acting coaches in the world. You review film. You study people who are alcoholics, drug addicts who came back from the war. And you practice, drill, and rehearse it every day for three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours a day, whatever it takes. And the first 30 days, you are clumsy and terrible and awful at it. You feel uncomfortable. You have doubts and fears and anxieties that you're never going to be able to do it. But there's 20 million bucks in front of you if you do it. And so you persevere and you train some more for another 30 days, another 60 days. And 90 days, 120 days later, you are actually able to play this role. Not as clumsy, not as cluttered, not as arrogantly as you did initially. But now there's a little bit of rhythm. Now there's a little bit of believability. Well, guess what you've done? You have taken something that's on a script. You've taken a whole new identity and role. And you have impressed it into your brain so that you can actually recite the script without reading it from the script that was given to you in manual form. You could feel comfortable in front of a camera, whereas before you were petrified of the camera. You can actually have a different accent and you can actually have the, the characteristics that were in the script better than you did 90 days or 120 days ago. Well, that's what it takes to change your beliefs and your habits if you are serious. Anything else, you're hoping and praying and dreaming that things are going to get better, that things are going to change. If you want to change your success, if you want to change aspects of your life, the question that I was asked when I was 19 to transform my life was this, are you interested or are you committed? Mm -hmm. And if you're interested, you're going to do what's convenient. If you're committed, you're going to do whatever the fuck it takes. Mm -hmm. And so I became the person that I grew into doing whatever the fuck it takes because the goal of what I wanted to achieve was big and I was prepared to pay that price. And my friend Jim Rohn, before he died, said something that just stuck with me forever. He says, you're either going to pay the price of discipline or you're going to pay the price of regret. He said, discipline weighs ounces, regret weighs tons. And I did not want to live a life of regrets. I did not want to live my life um, like my father did. Uh, and, you know, I just I was prepared to pay the price. And fortunately for me, I had a wonderful first mentor, his name was Alan Brown, that taught me that there's a way of thinking, a way of behaving, a way of upgrading your knowledge and your skills. And there was a practice that when you did it every day, you could become outstanding. And I have been practicing every day for the last 30 plus years. Why do you think that for some people, crisis is often the catalyst for change? Pain. Pain is a phenomenal motivator. And so when we are in pain, we are genetically programmed to run away, move away from pain as fast as humanly possible. And so crisis is a phenomenal motivator for people because they're in pain, they're in fear, and there are processes within the brain that moves them away from that so fast until they get back into their comfort zones. 
And so there's a study done many, many years ago, and David Deutsch talks about it in his book, um, uh, oh, Change or Die. And um, he talks about people who, have, um, who had co- needed quadruple heart bypass surgery, and they followed 100 people who were on death's row that had quadruple bypass surgery, and they were willing to do whatever it took to get a second chance at life. And, and they were taught nutritional aspects to be healthy. They were taught how to exercise properly with their condition. They had quadruple heart bypass surgery. And three years later, 96 out of the 100 people were back to all of their old patterns of behaviors and thoughts and emotions and stress that got them into trouble in the first place. And, and the reason I'm sharing that with you is they had enough pain to initially change, but then they got back into their comfort zone and they reverted back to all of their old patterns of habits and behaviors. And the reason for that is because of something called LIFO, L-I-F-O. And from a neuroscience perspective, the last pattern in, last in is the first pattern out. Because of what I talked about earlier, and that's that automaticity, the path of least resistance is what we're going to take. But crisis, okay, causes us to create a quick detour to try and get out of pain and out of discomfort as quickly as we can. And that's why we're, you know, most of us will do more to avoid pain or crisis than we will to do or we will to gain pleasure. Okay, so I have two last questions for you. You, sure. you mentioned that you grew up poor, and this is a question I've asked a lot of people, and it's always interesting to hear the answers. I mean, having grown up, you know, coming from the background that you did and having amassed wealth, how has that changed your perspective on wealth and money now? Well, uh, I didn't grow up poor okay. in a sense that I had lots of love. I had a roof over my head and I had food in my belly and clothes on my back every day. Sure. Uh, my father back in 19, in the 1970s um, was making about twenty twenty five thousand dollars a year. So we weren't poor. Uh, he was you know, a taxi driver. Uh, but we didn't have any money for vacations. There was always debt. There was always, you know, I always bought the cheapest clothes. I always had to work from the time I was seven, eight years old, uh, whether I wanted to buy a wagon to be able to take my newspapers from door to door in the buildings that uh, we lived in. Um, we didn't grow up poor, but we grew up without, you know, any money for extras. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up very, very wealthy from a love perspective. Uh, even though my father was physically abusive, he loved his children, my brother and my sister and I, and my mother loved us deeply as well. Um, but from a monetary perspective, um, I used to watch Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous, and I used to be fascinated with that life. And I always wanted to have that kind of life. I wanted to be able to, you know, buy what I wanted to buy and, and you know, have nice things and look good. And I, uh, I had a skewed understanding of money when I was younger. Uh, and let me get back to your question. That was around, you know, how has money changed me? I think it was where you were going, but I'll let you restate the question. So I answer it um, the way you asked it. Yeah, I mean, from from coming from that background to you know arriving where you're at now, how has that changed your perspective? My perspective uh, today is money is a tool. It's a means to different ends, and money is an idea. The green paper with ink on it, or the money that we transfer electronically from one country to another, is value that has been exchanged 
for services rendered. And so if you want to make more money, then you have to figure out how to trade either your knowledge, your products, your services, your processes, your ideas with people that value it. So the people who make the most amount of money create a lot of value in the marketplace to people who need it. And obviously I'm not talking about people who try to scam people for money. I'm talking about ethical, professional people. And so if you want to earn a lot of money, then figure out how to serve a lot of people with the things that I talked about before. Mm -hmm. Now, the only purpose of money is to make you more comfortable. I have friends of mine who are billionaires. Uh, a couple of them are extremely happy and philanthropic and do so much good for the world and have incredibly high self-efficacy and self-worth. I also have a friend of mine who's a billionaire that hardly gives any money to charity, is the most one of the most miserable people in the world as far as his relationships with his former wife, his kids, his employees, and himself. He happens to be a good friend. But he is just miserable. And no matter how much money he makes, he can't fill the void of not being fulfilled and happy with who he is. And so money, in most cases I have found, will magnify who and what you already are. And so money will never make you more happy. But if you're miserable, uh, you could definitely buy fun things to do, to, you know, to um, have fun with. Uh, but if you don't know how to be happy without money, you will never be happy with money. If you don't know how to be you know, yourself and comfortable with money, uh, you'll never be comfortable without it either. And so it's a magnifier. Uh, and you can have as much of it as you want if you're willing to help a lot of people get what they want. Which was Zig Ziglar's famous saying. Yep, I remember that one. So I, I, I don't like to take credit for stuff that's not mine. That was good old Zig. <laughs> well, John, this has been really, really interesting. Uh, you know, Not quite what I expected it would be, but a lot of really sort of interesting segues. So I want to finish with my, my last question, which is how we close all our interviews with the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? I think somebody who's trading their life for what they love, that exudes that passion and that love and that spiritualness that everybody can recognize. Wow. Well, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and share your story and, and your journey and your insights with listeners. This has been really, really interesting. Well, thank you so much. I, uh, I really enjoyed it as well. I, uh, I had no idea of where this would go, what this would be. And I just said, you know, I'll just answer the <laughs> thoughts that come from my heart and from my experience. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. If you like what you heard, the greatest compliment you could give us is to share the show with a friend and let people know what you think by leaving a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to The Unmistakable Creative. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.